So if you would, please turn to Luke chapter 4, beginning in the 14th verse. And hear these words about our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Luke writes, or the Evangelist Luke writes, And Jesus came up from Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you, will say, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst... He went away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We know, O oh God, that this is your word, that it is true and that it is given in love. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Now the story that we have heard today, that we've read together, is about Jesus. It's about him returning to his hometown synagogue of Nazareth to preach for the first time. You know, I remember that first time I went to my home church in Columbia, South Carolina to preach for that first time. It did not go well. I was getting ready to preach. I was up in the pastor's conference room. I had my, my sermon out. I was going through. I was working on my presentation. I was working on the inflection of my voice. I was trying to remember it all. And I, I got ready. I had it all there. And then when it was time to go down to the sanctuary, I gathered up all my papers. I put them in my little folder and I had it ready. I was ready to go for when it was time for me to preach. So I got up to the pulpit in that wonderful church and I opened up the folder and I was staring at a page of my manuscript that was not the first page. 
And I started to sort of slide around while I was hemming and hawing a little bit, and I realized my pages were all out of order. And not only that, I had forgotten to number my pages. And what happened? I panicked. I froze. I started to sort of ramble. I started to kind of talk, and it was terrible. It was confusing. It made no sense. And it it was just awful. I mean, everybody was fine to me. Everybody was wonderful. They were very encouraging, but it was terrible. So that was my first time to preach back in my home church. I froze up. It was confusing. It was awful. Jesus also had a bad experience the first time he preached in his home church. Let's talk about that in a moment. Last week, we talked about Jesus' baptism by John. And we talked about that earth-shaking and sky-rending moment when the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove And God the Father declared, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. It was a moment of verbal and visual confirmation that people could finally see with their eyes and hear directly from the mouth of God what only Mary and Joseph had known up to this point, that Jesus is God's own son. And then following his baptism... Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, where he was tempted by the devil. Now, we're not going to jump into that story today because we've talked about that in some detail not too long ago. But we remember that from his baptism, Jesus was tempted by by Satan in the wilderness. But after that, after Jesus did battle with Satan, Luke says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report went out about him, and it went out through all of the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, those two verses are very important for understanding what transpired in the synagogue of Nazareth that day when Jesus preached. It's a really loaded verse. Unfortunately, Luke doesn't give us all the detail about what happened between the temptations and and Jesus' arrival in Nazareth. But the book of Matthew fleshes out some of the details that Luke leaves out. He says that during that time, that intervening time, Jesus had been preaching all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, therefore repent. In addition to preaching, he was also ministering to the great crowds that would gather. He was healing every disease. He was healing every affliction. He was casting out demons. He was was lifting up the paralyzed. He He was opening the eyes of the blind. All those who were having seizures, who were paralyzed, they were healed by him. And he was becoming famous. And so I'm sure that when he got to Nazareth, there was no small amount of hometown pride at finally seeing this favorite son come home. Now, if you're not familiar with Nazareth, Nazareth Nazareth is a beautiful little mountain town, kind of like Kerrville. It has has a beautiful view of the whole Jezreel Valley. And when you're standing on the hills of Nazareth, And you can see so many places that you've heard about in the Bible. You really get a sense for how compact Israel is. And they took him to the synagogue to preach for his own hometown congregation. Now, this, there should be a picture coming up. This is not the synagogue where he preached. This is actually in another little town nearby. But it says in the Gospels that he preached in all of the synagogues 
of Galilee. And it says that everyone was there. Joseph's friends in the seats in the middle and Mary and her friends in the women's section around the edges. And Jesus stood up to read the prophet Isaiah. And then he sat down at the beam of the pulpit where he, where he would teach. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and read that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It was a perfect debut homecoming passage because this passage was about the mission of the Messiah from the prophet Isaiah. It was all about the fact that one day the Lord would send his anointed servant, the Savior, the Messiah, to fulfill the promises that God had made to his people. This was the word of the Lord speaking through his prophet Isaiah all about the Messiah and the hope that he would bring to Israel's children. And boy, was it a word that people wanted to hear. The Jews of Nazareth could, could identify with all of these conditions. For the last 700 years, the people of Israel had lived under foreign domination. First the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then now the Romans. Under all that time and all that time, they understood poverty. They, under, they prayed once again that God would supply their needs. They longed for liberty and to be able to pursue their faith and freedom. They were desperately hoping to see God's vision. They longed to once again have their own country and their own king where they would not be dominated by foreign oppressors. They wanted a king who would, who would defend God's people and would kick out the pagans with all, with all the cruelty of their legions and the blasphemy of their idols and the perversity of their culture. And they longed to celebrate the ancient order of Jubilee for each man in debt to have his debts forgiven and every family to have their homes and their lands and their fields and their vineyards and their orchards, all that they had lost restored and to celebrate the year of the Lord's favor, the, their year of being the Lord's beloved, chosen and free people. For people living under foreign domination, this was a great passage. It was exciting because for seven centuries they'd heard these words from the prophet Isaiah and believed from generation to generation that one day God was going to make it right. He would send a Messiah who would save them and deliver them. It was a prophetic passage. It was a patriotic passage. It hit all the right notes and it was a hit. Scripture says all spoke well of him. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't that Joseph's son? He's not just Joseph's son. He's our son. He belongs to all of us. That was just what they wanted to hear. The Messiah is coming and he's going to set things right for us. But then Jesus said something audacious. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Jesus took the words of the prophet Isaiah that he just read about God, God's word about his chosen servant, the Messiah, the one who would save Israel from the crisis of ruin and oppression, and he said, the prophet is talking about me. God has sent me with power and authority to carry out the mission of the Messiah. He is the Lord's Messiah. And this mission was his mission. Now his claim was outrageous. But I bet it made the people in the synagogue stop and think. I mean, start putting things together. Start connecting the dots. Here was Jesus, yes, the son of Joseph and Mary, one of their own, a local boy, But he was doing amazing things all over the country. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. And he was declaring that the kingdom of God had arrived. You know, he'd always been been a little bit different. Was it possible? Was he the one? Was this local boy really the Messiah? I mean, he told them what they wanted to hear. And that's where he should have stopped. But then, like all other preachers, he kept going long after you were done with him. (laughs) He continued, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. I mean, they'd heard what Jesus was doing all over Galilee, and now they expected him to do the same in Nazareth. Physician, heal thyself. Come to your own hometown. Bring this healing and restoration to your own people as you've done all over Galilee. Now do in your own city. Take care of your own. But instead of telling them the plan for healing Israel, he told them what they didn't want to hear. He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. And Jesus took the opportunity to issue a provocative statement about the mission of the Messiah. Using the examples of two prophets, he issued a prophetic declaration about the mission of God, something that they didn't want to accept. He said, a great famine came over the land. Elijah Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, a pagan Gentile foreigner in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And then he said, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, another pagan Gentile foreigner. Citing the examples from the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, Jesus reminds the people of Nazareth that when Israel rejects God's prophets, God sends them elsewhere even to the Gentiles. It amounts to this. I am the Messiah, says Jesus, whom God has sent to his people, his own people. But his own people will reject me. And so just like Elijah and Elisha, the Gentiles will receive me. Jesus is clarifying the mission of the Messiah. 
saying that the Messiah is here not just for the poor and the captive and the blind and the oppressed and the debtors of Israel, but for the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, and the debtors of every nation, of the Gentiles. Could that possibly mean even the Romans? The Messiah is going to the Gentiles, those outsiders. Jesus is saying, you've heard the mission of the Messiah from Isaiah before. He laid it out 800 years ago. That's the part you've heard. But you forgot about part of it, and I'm going to tell you the part that you haven't heard. That the Messiah not only came for Israel, he will not only come for Israel, but for the Gentiles as well. Not just for you, but for them. And through him, through Jesus, a way has been made where there was no way. Grace has been given where there was only judgment. Plenty where there was only poverty. Freedom where there was only bondage. Vision where there was only ignorance and darkness. And restoration of all that we've lost through our sin, through our selfishness, through our fear, or rebellion, or even oppression. And clarity where there was only confusion. Love where there was only condemnation. That has now all come, not only for you, but for the Gentiles. And what would that mean? It would mean that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, well, now he's going to be the God of everybody. I guess that's what that means. The Lord was inviting all those people to his table. Now, this not, may not seem shocking to us, to, to us, 2,000 years later, it's all familiar gospel. But to them, it was a radical break from what they had been raised to believe. To the people of Nazareth, to the Jews of that time, the idea that God would extend his covenant love to the Gentiles, that felt like a betrayal. After all, his covenant people, Israel, they had been loyal and they had suffered for all these years while the Gentiles had chased after their pagan gods and had indulged in their perverse ways? How dare Jesus say that the subject of Isaiah's prophecy would violate the commands of God, trafficking with the goyim, with the Gentiles, with the outsiders? How could God do that? And Jesus, how could you even say that? They'd completely forgotten that Isaiah had also said that my house will be a house of prayer for all people. That I will call every nation, tribe, and tongue to sit at table in his kingdom. No, no, no. Physician, bring healing to us. Not to them. Not to those people. Not to those who have mocked your name and persecuted your people. This is not what they wanted to hear. And that's when it turned ugly. All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. You know, I have preached a lot of bad sermons in my time. And I've preached some provocative sermons, but no one has ever threatened to throw me off a cliff. I've been to that hill and I've been to the edge, and it is sobering. 
And you know what I thought about? I thought, do I have the courage to preach the truth that people don't want to hear as well as what they do want to hear? It was a gut check. Do I trust God enough to risk all of that, all of this? Am I truly satisfied in him or do my life and my identity depend on my role or something else? Do I have the courage to preach the hard truths and say the things that people don't want to hear? To risk disappointing people I love the most? Even possibly offend them? Forsaking their approval? For their own good and for God's glory? Here's the sad truth. As long as Jesus was willing to tell them what they wanted to hear, they were happy and he was brilliant. But when he told them something they didn't want to hear like that God would have mercy on the Gentiles, the outsiders, those people, suddenly he was a troublemaker and a blasphemer and a sellout. Jesus is claiming the Messiah's mission, and part of the Messiah's mission is prophetic, to speak the truth of God whether people like it or not. Remember last week? And John declared that Jesus is not just the beloved Savior, he is also the winnowing fork. He is the judge of the living and the dead who will separate the wheat from the chaff. I got some interesting comments about that when I preached that. People don't want to hear that. But the truth of the gospel is his word comforts the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable. You know, what this brings to mind is that it took courage for the Messiah to fulfill his mission. And it's going to take courage for us to join in the mission of the Messiah. Because part of the mission of the Messiah is telling people what they do want to hear. It's also telling them what they desperately need to hear. And sometimes that means telling them stuff they don't want to hear. So how does this challenge us on Sanctity of Life Sunday? How do we declare that grace has been given where there was only judgment, plenty where there was only poverty, freedom where there was only bondage, vision where there was only ignorance and darkness, restoration of all that's been lost, clarity where there was only confusion, and love where there was only condemnation? How do we tell people who are involved in in human trafficking, generational poverty, who are contemplating what to do about an unborn life? How do we tell them that God loves them and that he has a plan and a purpose for their lives and that they should trust him even when they feel like they have to rely on themselves? How do we tell them about forgiveness and mercy and love when they're riddled with guilt? How do we tell them that God honors all of life and loves them as well? There are things about Jesus that we love and we celebrate. And there are things about Jesus that we just don't want to hear. There are things that we want to accept as his truth and other things that we want to reject. There are things about his mission and his calling for us that we want to embrace and others that we want to resist. And there are people that he came to include and that he came to forgive that we want to keep out. There are things that we want to say and things we don't want to say. Here's something to ponder. What are the things that we want to hear from Jesus 
And what are the things that we have to confess we don't want to hear? Sometimes Jesus says things that we don't want to hear. And sometimes to declare the truth of Jesus Christ, we have to say things that people are not going to want to hear. Jesus is not just showing us how to speak courageously, but also how to live courageously. By showing us a new way of being human, created in God's image, that cares about those poor, those imprisoned, those captives, those who have lost everything. Do we have the courage to speak the truth and to speak it with love and grace? Sometimes we have to say things that our culture, our friends, our customers, and our neighbors don't want to hear. We have to declare that our God is the God of life, of all of life. Not just for the people who vote and who buy and for work, but for those who have no voice. The outsider, the broken, the trafficked, the forgotten, the unborn. What's the danger of telling the truth? Jesus not only lost favor in his hometown, he almost lost his life. Nowadays, we may lose approval. We may lose support. We may lose popularity. We may lose our, uh, we may lose our office or the opportunity we have to, to influence. We may lose our platform. There may be economic consequences. You may lose comfort or freedom or security or life as you know it. But the mission of the Messiah was to declare the love and power and authority of God and to fulfill the mission of God, doing what he came to do saying what needs to be said, being what he needed to be and showing what it means to be children of God, even if it meant that he would be rejected, cast aside, thrown over a cliff, or even crucified for the sake of the people he loves. But Jesus' love for us was stronger than his fear of death. That's the power of the resurrection. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus came not only to save us from death, but from the fear of death and all the little fears that turn his truth, that turn us from his truth and kill us a little bit every day. Even at the edge of the cliff, when what we have to say is not popular, the way we live is unpopular, do we still believe that the Father carries us in the palm of his hand? Do we truly believe that God is holding us? Do we believe not only in courage, but in the power of his resurrection? And do we trust God to carry us in his mission, saying what we have to say, living as we must live, even through death, not over it, not around it, not, in, not avoiding it, but through death for the sake of those people? that God loves. Even the people we don't expect him to love. We pray with me. Oh Lord, I think sometimes this passage provokes more questions than answers. But in every element, it challenges us. And it challenges us to take seriously the mission of the Messiah not just the, the part of the mission that works for us, but the part of the mission that declares transformation in the world.
Lord, help us, like Jesus, to risk our lives for the sake of those who have no voice in the conversation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.